Our psalm this morning is going to be Psalm 34, for those of you with Bibles or who have phones with Bibles. Uh, psalm 34, we're going to hit the first 10 verses this morning. Psalm is titled, Taste and See that the Lord is Good. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. A Spanish poet, John of the Cross, he wrote a book called The Dark Night of the Soul. And in this book, he, in a very poetic way, describes what it's like when you're seeking union with Christ. And there's times in your life where you can go through these dark moments, these dark nights of the soul, where it seems like God is absent in your life like you're, you're all alone and there's no way you're gonna pull yourself out of this hole. If you are someone here this morning who is going through that dark night of the soul or you are suffering in some way or some capacity, this message this morning is gonna sting a little bit. It's gonna sting a little bit. And there's lots of Psalms that were written in the midst of suffering, but this Psalm 34 that Matt read a couple minutes ago that David is writing, this is, this is David writing on this side of suffering. He has been through it, he has been through this dark night, and he has seen relief, and the result is praise. He's just praising God for his deliverance in this situation. Now, if you are someone who is in a hole right now, this is gonna sting, because this is kind of like people talking about a fruitful marriage when you've just been broken up with. This is like talking about riches when you are flat broke. This is like, being in a hole and yet hearing the party that's happening on the top side. It's going to sting just a little bit. But this psalm is not only for those who are experiencing joyful days. This psalm is for those who are going through this dark night of the soul, especially for those who are suffering. David begins with what seems like an impossible statement here, doesn't he? Listen to these first three verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. How many times does David say that, that we, we should bless the Lord or that he blesses the Lord? How many times? At all times. How often will he praise him? continually, right? I mean, does that not seem impossible? Let's just take a, a look at the verbs here just for a second. To bless means to adore or worship the Lord. To praise someone, um, sometimes praise can be used in, in like someone praising themselves or glorifying themselves. This is like the opposite end of that where David is just praising the Lord and completely turning his attention away from himself and onto the Lord. And then to boast, and obviously when we hear the word boast, we often think of someone who's prideful that is, is telling um, stories about themselves or doing things that make themselves look good. 
And David is saying the opposite of that as well. He's saying, I'm going to boast in the Lord. In other words, David is saying, I will worship the Lord at all times. My praise will be directed at him alone, and my soul will boast in only the Lord. Now, that seems impossible, especially if you are going through a really hard time in your life. Just, just the thought of even praising and crying out this, especially all times, continually, I mean, how could that even be possible? This sounds something more like what we would say before we get delivered. Have you ever had this happen before where you are in a hole and it doesn't seem like you can get out and you kind of send out one of those pleas like, hey God, if you can just come in and rescue me, you know, I will, I will praise you continually. I mean, your, your praise will always be on my lips if you can just pull me out of this hole and rescue me. Have you ever done that before? Um, Years before I became a Christian, I was speeding along a road and I got pulled over by a cop and there was multiple reasons that I should have been arrested and, and gone to jail at this moment. And if you don't know my story, that's for another sermon or you can pull me aside. I'd be happy to tell you my story one time. But I'm pulled over on the side of the road and I know that I'm going to jail. Like there is no way possible that I'm going to be able to get out of this. And I began to pray. And this was before I became a Christian. <laughs> But desperate times call for desperate measures, right? So I began to pray, and it was one of these kind of prayers, like, Lord, if you could just save me out of this mess I'm in, I will worship you forever. I mean, I'm serious. Like, I will, I will devote my life to you if you can just pull me out of this. And God answered that prayer for me. The cop just pulled up next to me, put down his window, gave me back my license, and said, this is a freebie. I got to go. And he did a U-turn, flipped on his sirens, and flew off the other direction. Now, in this time, I cried out in desperation because I knew there was no way that I was going to be safe from this unless something divine interaction happened for me in this moment. But that five-minute drive home, even though I wasn't even a Christian yet, was probably one of the top ten worship experiences of my life because I was just so grateful at God's deliverance. What I'm saying here is not that you should put yourself in bad situations and then pray and then everything's going to be okay. But sometimes in our lives, it's almost like God gives us these, these little small g gospel moments that kind of point us towards him a little bit. That he reminds us, you know what, you, you deserved something else. But yet I'm going to give this to you anyway. You, you deserved to go to jail, but yet I'm going to set you free. And sometimes he interacts in our lives like this so that we point to the bigger gospel story because that's what happens. We, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We were dead. We were in such a hole there was no way we could possibly get out and God sent his son and his grace is bestowed upon us. You deserve something else, but I'm going to give you Jesus. That's God's grace. So what we have here is we have David praising God not because he was in a desperate um, because he was in desperate need, because he was in desperate need, and God had rescued from that. Now he's on that side of it, and he just turns, and he has no choice but to worship God in, in, this, in this instance. Whenever he thinks about what has happened, he just breaks down and praises the Lord. But right in the middle of these first three verses of praise, there's an interesting statement. Look at verse 2. It begins, My soul makes us boast in the Lord, and then it says, let the humble hear and be glad. I mean, one of these statements is not like the others, right? One of these statements is not the same. 
just surrounded by all this, this, this praise and these verbs directed towards God, David just slides in there. He says, let the humble hear and be glad. Who are the humble? The humble are those in a dark night, those in desperation who need help. Let them hear what? Let them hear the praising and boasting of the Lord. That almost sounds cruel, doesn't it? I mean, what is David talking about here? How, how is this even helpful? Let, let the humble, let those in dark places hear the praising of the Lord. Let them hear the rejoicing of those who have come out on the other end. How is that going to help anybody in this situation? The way we use the word glad here doesn't even do the statement justice. You know, we say things like, hey, I'm glad you stopped over today. I mean, glad is not a very strong word in this situation. We even have a trash bag named glad, for goodness sakes. I mean, glad it doesn't do this justice at all. A better statement to be used here would be joyful. Because joyful is this deep-rooted joy that is not superficial, that says no matter what situation I'm in, I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to rejoice. It may not look like I should be rejoicing, but when I have this deep joy that's inside, there's no circumstance no, no suffering around me that can possibly interrupt this joy that's happening. So a better statement here would be um, to be joyful. Hear and be joyful. Pain may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's what David says here. If you're in a tough spot, hear my praises and rejoice. And this may be hard to hear if you're suffering, but to hear it is kind of like cauterizing a wound. It needs to happen if you're going to get better. If you're going to heal, it needs to be heard. You need to hear this. Let those in low places hear the boasting of the Lord and be joyful. David can say this to his audience because he was in a low place. He was in a spot where he thought he wasn't going to get out, that death was imminent, and yet the Lord rescued him. Look at verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and delivered him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. So what was David delivered from? We need to do a little bit of background, just to put you in the context, so you can actually feel what David is going through here. In the um, intro, in the beginning of this, it says that this psalm is of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. This is found in 1 Samuel 21, beginning of verse 10, and the uh, text will be on the screen behind me. It says, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Ashish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Ashish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did not... Uh, did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Ashish, the king of Gath. So what happens right before this situation is David is, is fleeing Saul and he stops off at this, this, little, um, this little city called Nob and he finds the priest Ahimelech. It gets a little confusing because their names are almost exactly alike except for one letter difference. 
The priest wonders why David is by himself. I mean, think about this. Like, you are, you are the king's hand, and all of a sudden you come into this little city, and you are by himself. And the priest was like, David, why are you by yourself, and you have no weapons? This doesn't make any sense. And David lies to the priest, and he says, well, Saul has sent me on a secret mission. I'm, I'm to go out and do this thing. I can't tell anybody about this thing, but I'm just going to go do this secret mission. But I, I didn't have time. It was, it was such in a hurry. I didn't have time to pack any, anything to eat or any weapons. So can you take care of me? Can you help me out in this? And of course, the priest believes him and he gives him bread that was used only for the priest that he takes along with his journey. And then he gives him a sword. And the sword that he gives him that he had there in the temple was the sword of Goliath. If you've been in the church for like three minutes, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath. And if you, if you haven't, that's not a big deal. Um, a lot of times we hear this when we're in children's ministry. So if you didn't go to church as a kid, you may not have heard this. So let me just give you a little bit of a nutshell version of what happens here. David is part of Israel, and they are coming up um, in a war against um, Philistine. And so you have the Philistines on one side of the hill and you have Israel on the other side of the hill. And the Philistines send out their champion, Goliath, who's this nine foot giant. Um, and he's wearing this like really expensive armor and he's got this big sword. And they just say, you know what? Just come on and beat our champion. If you can beat our champion, we will let you go. And the Israelites just shake in their boots. They are absolutely afraid to be able to go out and, and battle this. And David, who was this little shepherd boy, says, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid of this. God has delivered um, lions and bears into my hands before. What is Goliath to me? The Lord can deliver. So he runs out onto the battlefield, and this giant laughs at this little man who's coming after him. And David takes this little sling. He's got three stones. He puts one stone up in there, and he, he throws this stone through the air and hits Goliath right in the forehead. Just knocks him down to the ground, knocks him on his face. David runs up, jumps on top of him, takes Goliath's own sword and drives it into him and kills Goliath. Then he takes that same sword and cuts off Goliath's head. Maybe if you are one of the younger ones in here, maybe you haven't heard that version before, but I'm not holding anything back here. <laughs> so this is the sword that David gets. He gets the sword of Goliath. I want you to fast forward. Okay, he leaves Nob and he goes um, to this other king that he thought he might be able to find shelter in. He goes to Gath. Guess where Goliath was from? Just take a wild guess. Anywhere in the world, just take a guess where Goliath might be from. He's from Gath. David goes to probably the only other king that would want him dead because he defeated his champion and he takes the sword with him that he had cut off this champion's head with and then they recognize him and start hailing. Isn't this the David that they sing songs about? And David becomes afraid. David is shaking in his boots and I'm sure David probably didn't use profanities but if he ever did in his life, this is probably where he did it. He is frightened at this moment. And for David, I mean, this was not a wise move on him. If David was filled with wisdom, but this was probably the dumbest thing he has ever done. And probably it wasn't until he actually walked in to Gath that he understands what in the world was I thinking? Why was this a good idea to take Goliath's sword and walk in before his king and think that I was going to be okay? So you know what David does next? He uses even more wisdom and he just begins to act like a crazy fool. He, has, um, he starts marking doors with his fingernails and, and the gates, and he lets the this, this spit 
just kind of foam and come down his beard. So he looks like an absolute lunatic. And the king comes before his servants that have brought him to him and said, no, this can't be David. I mean, this guy's a crazy man. Don't I have enough crazy men in, in my house already? Send this guy away before he infects somebody else. And David gets away. David gets away. That's how, that's how David escapes here. The king sends David away. David narrowly escapes with his life. This is the deliverance that David is talking about when he says, the Lord answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Delivered me from all my fears. I think this is really important because it doesn't say that he delivered me from all my bad circumstances. He says he delivered me from all of my fears. David was delivered from all his fears. My son Weston, um, Weston for some reason in his life has been a fearful child. And when he was three years ago, the first Bible verse we had him memorize was, do not be afraid for I am with you. And this has been so helpful in his life. When he was three years old, he was afraid of three things, okay? Weston was afraid of dragons. I mean, who's not afraid of dragons, right? If, if they were real, I mean, they would be really frightening, right? He was afraid of Harry's. To this day, we still have no idea what a Harry even is, but he was afraid of Harry's. And the third thing that Wesson was petrified of was flamingos. Terrifying, right? I mean, pink, those long skinny legs, sometimes standing on one leg, whoo, frightening. But you know what? Some of you in this room are fearing things as ridiculous as Weston did. Some of you are shaking in your boots because you might have a change that's coming right around the corner. And this change might be something best for you. This might be the best thing that has ever happened to you in your life. And you are paralyzed in fear of what this change is going to bring. Some of you are so afraid of failure. And this failure might lead you exactly where you need to go. This failure might give you the confidence to become who you need to become. And you are paralyzed in this fear. Some of you are fearing some legitimate things in your life. David was fearing legitimate things in his life. Some of you might be fearing those legitimate things in your life. But in the face of these fears, whom are you looking for deliverance? What are you seeking for deliverance? In the face of these fears that are before you, who or what do you seek refuge? It's a super important question. Fearing can be normal, especially in these kind of situations, but who do you seek refuge in these moments? David says, God is my deliverer. God is my refuge. There is no other. He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I love the humility in David here too because he knows that he just acted like a complete fool going into the city where he should have had no business going and then he really acts like a fool and pretends like he's mad but he doesn't take credit for that. He doesn't just stand there and go, whoa, did you see what I did in there? That was absolutely amazing. Acting, brilliant, thank you, no, thank you. Right? He's not taking credit. He's not saying, man, my, my acting skills and my deception are top-notch. Boy, I barely got out of that one. He gives credit where credit is due. He recognizes that even though he used his own wits to be able to get out of this, he gives all the credit to God for his deliverance. 
for those of you who are feeling like God is not existent in your life, if you're going through this dark night of the soul, if that's taking place, there's a good chance that you feel like God is absent because the things that have happened in your past, you have given yourself credit for. There's a good chance that if you feel like God is absent in your life, that you have given credit to either yourself or some kind of other object that you said, wow, that really swooped in and saved me there. I was a goner. Thank goodness that saved me. You're not giving credit where credit is due. For David, he realizes that God provided for him all along. He escaped Saul. He was given food and a weapon from the priests, and now David escapes another king who wants him dead. And he has no choice but to worship. He rejoices in God's deliverance in his life right here. He worships, and then he invites others to join him. I think God, or, or David sees such a big picture of God that when he's delivered in this way, it, it's not like he's inviting people in and saying, boy, I was rescued, so come on, just step in to what I've been rescued from. He's saying, this picture of God that I have is so big and so grand that I cannot worship him by myself, so please join me in this praise. Let's just praise out to God. You know, you who are humble, you are in low places, just sing along with me. Sing the praises to God, because that's how big of a picture he has of God. But listen to how he invites other people in. Back in verse 3, he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Magnify means to make the Lord's name great. Exalt means to make his name greater than anybody else's name. That's what he's saying here. Let's make God's name, the Lord's name, greater than any other name on the face of this planet, because that's how good God is. But then what I, I love, I love this. David calls the community to worship, but he's, He's not saying, take my word for it, okay? I've been delivered. Just worship because of what he's done for me. David says in verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste is kind of an experiential term. He's saying, you know what, don't take my word for it. Don't just believe me. If you don't believe me, just go ahead and taste it yourself. Try God. Give it a try, and you will see that he is good. Have you ever noticed that when somebody tastes something really bad, that they get this horrible expression on their face? They'll be like, oh, oh, this is horrible. I, I think this is rotten. Here, try this. Have you ever noticed that? I'm always like, no, I, I don't want to try that. If it's really rotten, no, thank you. I'm, I'm going to pass on that one. Seriously, like all the time. I, why would somebody think that if you say it's awful that you'd want to try it? If you're that person, please stop doing that. Nobody enjoys that. But if somebody tastes something really good, if it's like, wow, this is the best thing I have ever had in my entire life. This is absolutely delicious. Here, try this. You'd probably be a weirdo if you didn't try whatever that was, right? If that's the best thing that they have ever tried in their entire life. David is painting this kind of picture here. David is saying, for, for those of you who are humble and in a low place, if you're not seeking God, you are missing out on the best thing possible in this world. <laughs> Just taste and see that the Lord is good. Just put it in your mouth and let that flavor just dissolve in there because there is nothing like it. There is no one like my God. He is my deliverer and my refuge. No one is like my God. And David just continues saying how many good things there are about God in this passage. In verse 8, he said, Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Verse 9, For those who fear him lack no um, 
For those who fear him have no lack. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them. Verse 22, none of these who take refuge in him will be condemned. Just over and over and over again, he just paints this picture of how good God is. And I love verse 10. And I want to spend a little bit more time in verse 10 than I, I did in this rapid fire in these verses. I just spouted out. Verse 10, the young lions suffer and want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I think the ESV just um, helps us out a little bit more in this. The NIV just says the lions may grow weak and hunger, which I've always just been curious about. I mean, what does that mean that the lions may grow weak and hungry? So I did a little bit of research on this. And when you think about a lion, you think about like this, this very strong and beautiful animal. I mean, they're the king of the jungle, right? There, there's nobody that's higher on, on the food chain than they are. They are the ultimate predator within the jungle. I mean, why would they grow weak and hungry? When a baby lion is born, I guess they're called cubs, right? I can say that instead of baby. When a, when a, a lion cub is born, um, they're born and the mother has to go off on their own. And actually all their, their babies are kind of born at the same time, which I find interesting. And the reason for that is because if a young cub is around the rest of the pride at a very young age, they will just eat them. So the mother goes off, gives birth to these cubs by herself, and then she nurses them. And for the first six weeks of their life, a lion cub is completely blind. Can't see for six weeks. Can you imagine trying to defend yourself against an attack when you're this little tiny cub and you can't even see? They're blind for the first six weeks. When they are finally ready, when they can see and actually stand up and walk, the mother will take them out and introduce them to the rest of the pride. And this is a really key moment for them because um, if the rest of the pride doesn't recognize them as their own children or as their own nieces and nephews, they will kill them right there as well. They have to recognize them as family or they will not become part of the pride. If they are accepted, a young cub will spend um, a long time, months and months and months, where they cannot hunt on their own. They just don't have the skill to be able to do it. And they will just sit around in the pride, kind of like the male lions do, because the women hunt in the pride. And the women will go, on, uh, go out and they will hunt, and then they will bring back the food. And that's how a mother will feed her, her young ones at that point. What happens? You've seen Natural Geographic. You see that sometimes the gazelle gets away, right? The cubs are just sitting back at home, just waiting for food, and they grow weak, and they go hungry, and sometimes mom comes home with no food. That's the picture. However strong a lion is, they still face hunger. They still face want. They still get weak. On the flip side of this, what does David tell us? What is his illustration here? The lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. They're not weak. They do not want in the same way the young lions do. Those whom the Lord cares for will have all their needs met. They don't need to worry about what they will eat or what they will wear. You'll probably recognize that from Matthew, the words of Jesus. They do not fear, for the Lord is with them. This is the good care 
of the Lord. This is what it means to seek refuge in the Lord. And David knows because he's experienced this, and he's just inviting people in. If you don't believe me, just experience it. Just step in, taste, and see that the Lord is good. For those of you who do not know Jesus yet, this psalm is really an invitation for you to taste and see how good the Lord is. If you've never experienced that, that care, you, you are not going to believe it because I, I can say with confidence that the Lord is good. Taste and see. If you're someone who's been following Jesus and, and yet sometimes that God still feels distant to you, that times of trouble, that sometimes he, he doesn't feel like he's there, this is important for us as well. Especially if, if you're in a bad place. This is encouragement for you to learn to praise God, whether things are good or whether they're bad, to just sit in a place where we can praise God. Remember I said that at the beginning, it almost seems impossible. I'm going to come around. We're coming around to how it actually is possible. I think when we're in a dark place, sometimes our, our gut reaction is just to pray for God to change our circumstances. Like we just kind of, of look at that as, as like our God. Man, if my circumstances will just change, everything is going to be fine. Right? Just, God, just change my circumstances. Let me start over. Just remove this stuff from me, and I will be good. I wonder if it would be more effective. Instead of asking God to, to change our circumstances, if we prayed for him to change our perspective on things. Change our perspective so that no matter what was happening, if we were in the midst of suffering, we would have the perspective that would say, you know what? All things work together for those who love the Lord. We Just change our perspective that we would see a bigger picture and maybe see how God might be working in these things, building us up, making us stronger for whatever is to come, helping someone else along in the same journey that you've gone through. The next time you come along this, you can look back and say, well, you know what, I was really afraid of this before, but look, God delivered me. It makes us strong to see this bigger picture. Next time, just pray that God might change our, perspec or, um, change our perspective instead of our circumstances. When David wrote this psalm, he was most likely still fleeing Saul and writing it from a cave. Think about that for a second. He's continually praising God, and yet he is still fleeing from the man who is trying to kill him. How can he have that much joy in his life? I mean, God didn't rescue him from, from every ounce of trouble that was ever going to get in his way. He still has this trouble. In fact, um, he will flee Saul again later on if you keep reading 1 Samuel. Later on, his son Absalom turns against him, wants his dad. His own son flees him. God doesn't just remove all of this trouble. He just really just comes in and changes David's perspective on this. So even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of suffering, suffering that David still rejoices at God's deliverance, that he still feels God's presence with him because he sees this bigger picture. This is going to seem kind of weird, but um, one of the application points for what I would like you guys to think about doing is to journal. Um, if you're a guy sitting in this room, you're probably thinking, oh, you want me to diary? Yeah, I want you to diary. Um, the reason why is, is there's a couple um, important things about actually writing out your thoughts. First of all, isn't this what David is kind of doing here? 
Think about this. He is writing down his experiences and his feelings as he's walking along with God. Pretty much most of the Psalms are like this, where somebody is journaling and telling their feelings and experiences. Uh, the book of Lamentations is much like that as well, where people are um, writing down their experiences and their feelings. I feel like journaling is kind of like when you think you have not been blessed and that you don't have stuff and then you move and you realize how much stuff you actually have and you're like, where did all this stuff come from? That's kind of what journaling does. Write down your fears. Write down scripture verses that you want to remember. But most importantly, write down the times that God has actually stepped in and you felt his presence in your life so that you can go back and remember. I journaled for uh, years of my life. I don't journal as much as I'd like to anymore, but there are so many times when I was struggling and I would just go back and read a journal and I'd feel like an idiot because I would come across something that was almost the exact same experience that I was going through and, and I would just be worshiping and praising that God delivered me. Like why, why am I struggling in the same situation when I've been delivered from this before? It really just kind of redirects our eyes off our circumstances and put them, puts them back on God where they should be. So guys, try to have a diary if you can. Just diary, uh, journal really is just diary in different language. So get something leather and manly and uh, write down your, your thoughts and experiences on that. I'm sorry to even bring diary into that. So I want you to think about this for a second. I'm asking you to, to write down times when God has actually interjected and stepped into your lives. How has God delivered you in the past? How has God delivered you in the past? How has God shown up and been a refuge for you in your life? And if you have a hard time even thinking of something as you're sitting right here, it means that that's even more reason to begin to journal. Because I guarantee that like, if you really sat on it and looked at the timeline of your life, that you would see many times over that God has been there. He has been next to you so many times. But we have short-term memories. I'm the worst at that. We have short-term memories and we forget the times that God has been faithful, that he has come to us and delivered us. You know, all of scripture kind of tells this redemptive story. Over and over and over again, we see creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So over and over and over again, God is showing his people, I created you, you fall, I'm going to rescue you. I created you fall, I'm going to rescue over and over and over again. Scripture tells this story of deliverance. I think this should lead us to three things. Praise, proclamation, and hope. Praise because when we are delivered from a situation like that, when we feel like there's no way out and God steps in, we have no choice but to praise him for that to praise him for his deliverance. And then proclaim like David is doing here. You gotta tell somebody else about it. When you see deliverance happening that kind of way, it should just spout off your lips. I mean, listen to what God has done for me in my life. And then it gives us hope. It gives us hope because if God can deliver me from this, I mean, what can the world do to me? What can possibly run me down? It gives us hope. But I feel like this is where, as Christians and being on this side of the cross, we really have a leg up on David here, don't we? Because David can have all the hope that he wants in the hope that the Messiah would come, but we have seen the Messiah come. We have Jesus who came and died for us. We have Jesus that, 
that went to the cross for us when we were dead in our transgressions and our sins and there was no way out and he delivered from that, from death unto life, defeating all of our enemies. That is the hope that we have in Jesus. And we have this hope that one day he will return and he will bring us home. Deliverance equals praise. If you take one thing from this, this is what I want you to get. Deliverance equals praise. Ultimate deliverance equals ultimate praise. That's why we study the gospel over and over and over again here. That's why it's impossible for you to set foot in this room without hearing about the gospel because the more we look at the gospel, the more we understand what we've been saved from. The more we see that we've been delivered and that leads us to praise. So in the end, maybe it's not far-fetched to think that we could praise at all times, that his praise shall continually be from our lips because we have the gospel and we understand what Jesus has done. So let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we just want to confess that, that we have rebelled against you in so many ways and, and in our sin. We often have our backs turned towards you, but we are grateful that you pursued us anyway. That you came alongside of us, that you walked through the situation with us and you held out a hand and rescued us from our troubles. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that we have been rescued from death to life. And even now, may we continue this communal praise of all of us coming together, unified in this gospel that has rescued us and delivered us. May we sing together the praises of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.